It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital columnist and editor. Along with Rick Broering, each week we look at local topics, sports-wise, national topics, and much, much more. And of course, we make our gambling picks of the week, which we've been, it feels like we've been hot and cold. We, we run these cycles, and maybe that's just the way the gambling world works, Rick. Well, last week, they took away the college games from us. We only they had did. one college game on the slate. It was Miami, which I, you know, that's yep, not my team. I know, it's not your team. And and then you put me with all NFL games, and I'm screwed. Had a yeah. losing record. Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, well. All what right. are you going to do? We got a lot to get to, so hit us off. All right, Skinny. The college basketball season got off to a fast start this week as Number two, Kentucky took down number one, Michigan State, on opening night, 69-62. The Wildcats were led by freshman guard Tyrese Maxey, who poured in 26 points, a U.K. record for a freshman in his debut under John Calipari. Do you think Tyrese Maxey solidified himself as the go-to option for Kentucky with his performance on opening night? We talked about this last week when we were doing our, our previews, um, and we were talking about who could be the maybe the, the guy, the score, the main guy It was guy the biggest question through. for this team, right? And, and I said Maxey. Now, I'm not here to tell you I'm right through one game, but I, I think he has to be because he's the guy that can create his own shot, um, and he can create it from distance. He can create it off the bounce. Um, he's a really talented offensive player. You're going to laugh. Please don't. It, it, it kind of it was Steph Curry light, if you will, to me. I mean, he was showing range, quick release. Um, he shoots it from kind of down and down in his his, his hip area. Um, so it reminded me of that a little bit. And and I, there's just not a post guy they can play through right now. And I'm not sure there's ever going to be a post guy on this team they can play through. Yeah, there's not a post guy they can play through right now. And quite honestly, in 2019 in college basketball, and this has probably been that way for a lot longer, but definitely in 2019, who? Who? What go-to big guy is there, right. really? Right. I mean, it's hard to go to a big guy at the end of the game when the other team knows that's what you want to do because you've got to be able to get an entry pass to him. So it's easy to take away. You confront that guy. You can do a lot of things defensively. A lot of times your go-to guy is going to be a wing or a ball handler. And you look at Kentucky's team. I mean, I think Ashton Higgins, he was the first teamer on UK's team in the preseason. I get that. And I get it. Yeah. I think he's going to be great. But offensively, he's just not that type of player. I think we saw... Uh, my answer to this question is yes, definitely. I think yeah. there's no question this is their go-to guy. It very much had that John Wall feel. Not that they're the same player because no, the difference. Maxie different, yeah. definitely shoots it much better, and they do some other things differently. But when he had the ball in his hands, just like John Wall as a freshman, he was in control of the game, and he was going to sort of dictate the flow and tempo and everything of UK's offense and sort of what the defense was going to do and the way they were going to play them. It was it was really fun to watch. Yeah, and I know Cal said after the game, he told him when he get, got in the gym, be ready to fire and, and keep firing. And so I think he had the green light for that, which gave him probably confidence, and he played with confidence. I mean, the the, the, the clutch, the, the the clinching shot, rather, that deep three. I mean, that thing was deep, man. Yeah, and I mean, I knew it was deep, and then you saw it on show, slow-mo replay, and you're like, God, that's like eight feet behind the line deep. Well, and the best part is you mentioned his shot, how it's sort of unorthodox, comes from low. It's kind of a nonchalant like flip look to it. Yep. It's a fun shot to watch right. in moments like that right. because everything is so tense, and then he looks like he's just playing backyard basketball. And, and, and the ball hangs in the air forever, shot. right? And yeah. then it takes forever for it to go through the net. And I, I was really impressed with, with him. I think they got really nice parts. Um, I just worry on a night when a Tyrese Maxey doesn't shoot the ball, and there's going to be nights like that. Who picks up the slack, and where does it come from? Yeah, you mentioned last week that you thought this team was going to shoot the ball better. Yeah. I mean, it's only one game, so you can't just take this percentage. But I do think you're right. After Maxi, I still don't see a lot on this team. And so, like, Juzang, I think, can knock down a shot. Can. S- Sestina can knock down a shot. But no real bona fide shooters But yeah, when we talk wing. about that, we're, we're talking about we need – when you are talking about, we need to see consistency, right? I right. Mean, I mean, like, can they Tyler, knock down a shot? Yes. Can they do it consistently? I don't know. The jury's out. 
Tyler Harrow was a damn good shooter. We even talked about last year how he wasn't always reliable enough because right. he wasn't assertive enough all the time. Right. Uh, I don't think they have a Tyler Harrow on this team as a shooter. No, so. but they have a guy who's more assertive in Maxi. Certainly, and and I'm really excited to watch the rest of this year. One thing that they talked about after the game, Calipari and him, uh, that I don't think can be discounted is how much going up against Ashton Haggins every day in practice yeah. has probably helped acclimate him and get him ready for big time college yeah, basketball. Call. Because you know Cal talked about how he's been almost demoralized sometimes at practice because he hasn't been able to score the same way he's been used to. All of a sudden, you see him come out and do that against the number one team in and the country. Like, Wait, like, I'm not playing against that dude who's on my team. He's now on my uniform. He's on the same uniform. He's not wearing the the blue mesh and I'm. We're in the white mesh today. We're wearing the same colored uni. Yeah, I think Cal's quote was that uh, Maxi was laughing and saying, well, the games are easy now. So I do think that is a, a big, big deal for him. All right, Skinny, and up then the other big game of the week, Cincinnati lost to number 18 Ohio State 64-56 on Wednesday night. The Bearcats led 26-19 at halftime, but were outscored 45-30 in the second half. Jaron Cumberland and Keith Williams each had 13 points to lead UC. My question is, what did you learn about the Bearcats in their first game with new head coach John Brannon? That they don't have another weapon outside of Jaron Cumberland. I mean, and I guess maybe we knew that. We were just hopeful that maybe some of the things that John can do and will do will allow some other guys. I did like the way Chris McNeil played. I don't know if he's a weapon or not, but I did like the way he played. I thought Keith Williams was Keith had Williams the best too. game. Yeah, Keith Williams had a good game. Too. I'm sorry. I, but I, I, yeah, yeah, Keith Williams did have a good game. That's, that's right. I mean, knock down two threes, which is something he but couldn't you, do last but, year. But this team is kind of like the last couple teams in a way that if Jared had on, or at least last year's team, if Jared had on, who's, who's going to pick up the slack? Who's there to do it? It's supposed to be Trey Scott. Well, he was miserable last night. Yeah. I don't think he'll be miserable every night, obviously. He's a good player. But we've seen he's a hustle guy. Yeah. Do, get the tough stuff done. He's not a scorer. The other thing, too, is, and I know John talked about this a little bit. It wasn't a pregame. It was a, one little radio hit that right. I heard, a little soundbite. And, and he, the, he made the point of, you know, you, they're starting to see some things in practice where, you know, a month ago, it, you know, three-part process, you'd see one of the parts. And now he's starting to see all three of the parts. And I think that's the way with, his, with, the, with that offense, right? That offense is so feel-oriented, right? And so you've got to mesh-oriented that I don't think you're going to expect that to come together in game one, and it didn't. It looked disjointed. Robotic. It, lo- it looked robotic. It looked like guys got panicky and, and tried to get downhill and couldn't get downhill. And so when they got stopped, they'd give it up, and the next guy would try that, and he couldn't get downhill. And then the shot clock's winding down, and then comes a four shot. Or a kick out to an open three that needs to be made and wasn't made. I mean, there were a couple of good looks when the game was still in the balance. Um, Javon Cumberland had a great, I think, off of an offensive rebound, had a great kick out, what top of the key or left of the key, and yeah. when he released something, and holy cow, it's a two point game, back rimmed it. I, you know, you can't, you can't shoot it for him. I mean, it was a good, right. it's a good look, and he's supposed to, that's his, that's his strength is to be a, a shooter, not Jaron, Javon. Um, so. I don't know what we learned about UC last night. I really don't. I, I, I think you learned that the bigs are going to foul against <laughs> against good teams, and it's going to be hard to keep them out of foul trouble. But, okay, so you got 10 fouls to play with. Play with them. Yeah. What I, did you learn? I was impressed, honestly, with what I saw. Now, not overly impressed, but I think the things we knew about this UC team was, one, you still have Mick Cronin's personnel. Um, and so they're not a highly skilled, high IQ, offensive minded team that's going to go out and score a bunch of points. That's still going to be a process as John continues to implement um, not only his his system, but mainly get his own guys in right. through recruiting over the next couple of years. And and this te- this team is a little bit patchwork in terms of adding grad transfers and late freshmen and things like that and transfers. So um, I did like what Chris McNeil added. I think he's an upgrade over Justin Jennifer from last year, but. I want to see him create for his teammates, too. He looked like he was willing to be a scorer 
and he can't finish around the rim, and he's but really I think, small. I, but I think in that offense, though, I mean, everybody's getting to t- so many touches. I'm not sure there is a creator. I think it's everybody needs to create for everybody else and themselves. See, but I think they need a creator okay. on this team. I think they lacked that last year. Uh, they've lacked it for a few years, probably, especially at the point guard position. And now, the, the interesting thing about this is their flow game, which is what they ran mostly last night, what you saw most of, which is you know the ball screens on the wings and the big man catching at the top of the key and spinning and turning – throw it to the other way right. and setting another screen. That's the ball screen motion offense. It's the same flow game Mick Cronin was running. The difference is Mick Cronin didn't run it as much because he wanted to do it more of like a NBA style where you stop, you run a set play, you slow it down, you sort of manipulate each possession a little more. And they played very much through Jaron at the end of shot clocks. Oh, and, and that's why, because they've yeah. gotten a lot of late shot right. clock situations. John wants to run this thing fast and get the ball moving from side to side. He wants it to go through three or four rotations, get the defense moving, and then get like a backdoor cut or an easy driving or lane, slip, something like that. Whereas Mick, they never got through rotations. Right. They were way too slow with it all, and you ended up playing a lot of isolation. The, the other thing I'd like to see more of, and it, and it came late in the game, I'm not so sure that, that maybe he doesn't have enough personnel because he played a bunch of guys, and I think he'll end up playing a bunch of guys, is ugly the game up with a little bit of pressure and traps, and maybe you're going to give up some stuff. I thought they did a really good job of that in that one late-game situation. I mean, they were kind of desperate, forced a terrible Ohio State pass. I mean, it was a loopy fifth-grade pass that was intercepted. Maybe you can create a little more offense with your defense. Yeah, and I think that's another one of the things we learned. Everyone has talked so much about this. Now the shift going from a defensive-minded team under McCronin to being an offensive-minded team under John Brandon. Well, John Brandon isn't necessarily like an offensive-minded coach. He's just not McCronin going to sell out for his defense at all costs. He wants to play fast. He's a 90-foot guy on the defensive end. Right. He's, he's always pressed throughout his career, and that's a big part of what he wants to do. But it is hard so, to press, too, when you don't make shots. Make shots. That's exactly right. You <laughs> that's can't the other part. get into your press. So I think the biggest thing is, one, you're not going to win games if Jaron Cumberland doesn't play well, and he played awful. I mean, they just yes. flat out need him to play better. I do wonder, we talked about the ball screen motion offense. Last year, I thought McCronin put Jaron in too many isolation situations late in the shot clock where he's not a great creator off the bounce. Now, after last night's game, I thought Jaron Cumberland was in too many ball screen situations where he's asked to be in create off, to create off the bounce. I'm wondering if John and him won't, as they continue to develop and grow the relationship and get used to each other, if they won't find more ways to put him in positions to score that are easier for him maybe off pin downs or curls or something where he doesn't have to do the creating off the dribble because too often when he's creating off the dribble it leads to bad step back jumpers yeah or him trying to bull his way to the basket and getting a charge which he can do i mean like he can do not always though you don't want it yeah you want him to get some easy looks to get him going in a night like last night where he's struggling to shoot i guess the disappointing part was you're up seven at the half you felt like you played like ass right and then you're thinking all we need to do is make a few shots We're, we're doing okay on the other end of the floor right and then you still walk away with an eight point loss that i guess that's the only disappointing part yeah definitely and i mean you you got a a terrible game out of their stud yeah right Caleb Wesson was nothing and you quite honestly everyone thought your big men were going to be your biggest weakness so that was going to be a huge mismatch for you well that wasn't a mismatch and you still lost by eight so there are definitely some issues there I didn't think Ohio State looked very good at all but at the same time I think UC did a pretty good job of controlling the things they can could control their defense was good they took fairly good care of the ball um they didn't make any shots. Their star player was awful. And there's a lot of growing and adjusting that needs to happen with the new coach and new players. I'll take the next topic for you. Xavier came away with a 76-57 win over Jacksonville Tuesday to start the season. Musketeers led by Tyreek Jones, 17 points, 11 rebounds. Najee Marshall had 17 as well. Do you think Xavier's season opening win was encouraging or discouraging? And why either way, Rick? I would go with encouraging because 
Defensively, they continue to be the same team. We the secret scrimmage they and played. they've added the defensive ace Leighton Schrand to the starting lineup. That's right. They, I, I said Steele must have been pr- pretty confident in that one if he was going to light the human victory cigar before the game even started. I thought that was interesting. It's kind of cool. It was cool for him. Um, I think you know, it wasn't just three cursory minutes when he played seventeen minutes. I think. Yeah, he got back in later yeah. in the game. I think this is kind of strategic by Steele. You saw last year there were some guys that didn't seem to want to buy in and doing things differently by d- defense, you know, being locked in and focused and, and being efficient and valuing possessions for a full 40 minutes, especially early last year. So I think him playing Leighton Strand is a way of him telling the young guys that he's trying to groom now coming up. This is, we do things the right way or you don't play. And that's why Leighton's getting the minutes. He's, he's made sure to say Leighton does all the right things yeah, in right. practice. He right. buys in. And I, think it's, I think that's a good reward. I think it's a good reward for Leighton. And it's a good good reminder for, for the other guys. In a couple of games that you knew you well, were yeah, going to Yeah, no, no. I mean, you're you not going to cut your nose off to spite your face, but it's the perfect time to do that kind of, of course. stuff. You know, fans were, were talking about like, what happens in Big East play if someone goes down. Is Leighton starting again? No. Bryce Moore would have started in that lineup if it was a even possible they were going to lose that game. Jacksonville was worse than University of India. They played in the exhibition. They knew they were going to dominate them. That wasn't in question. So um, the negatives were, look, this they team don't can't shoot. shoot. They, don't, they can't shoot a lick, man. I, I, I worry about that. Oh, I mean, you should be because we've known it. We knew it since last year. We knew it since they recruited these guys. Basically, they haven't been able to supplement it with enough shooting. Um, but I do think the defense was good. And I thought, especially in the first half, in the second half, things got a little more sloppy. There were some bad shots. There were some lackadaisical possessions. But offensively in the first half, I thought the distribution on offense was good. You had your best shooter taking your threes. Um, your next best shooter, Bryce Moore, had, had three threes. And those were your only two guys. Paul Scruggs, obviously, Paul is who Scruggs, I was talking yeah. about, yeah. that took the four threes. Um, nobody else took more than one three in the first half. That's what you want. If, if Quentin Gooden or Najee Marshall... Last year, hitting, Najee Marshall would have shot five threes in the first half. Right, or Quentin Gooden would have right. hit two or three step backs because they weren't getting the ball inside as much as they should have. Um, I thought they did a good job of understanding who the ball should go to. Tyreek Jones had 10 attempts inside, which he started off strong. They kept going to him. All of those things, good signs from Xavier on the offensive end, I thought. Uh, what do you think of Zach Fremantle? I think he's going to be really, really good. He, run, he, he runs weird. Yeah, and he had some defensive possessions where Steele got mad at him, had to yank him off the, the, the court. The Duncan transition, because I saw the highlight of that, was was pretty good. I mean, that was a nice pass, because it could have been an easy layup. Uh, who was a Najee pass? Najee yeah. did. Yeah, just um, But he... He rewarded the big guy for running the floor behind him, and and he finished with authority. I I like that. And he does he does run weird though, but yeah, well he runs hard too. He does I mean, run he hard. runs weird, but he runs hard. Um, and he's he's going to be really good. He has to figure some things out defensively and, and understand it. But he makes up for a lot of his mental mistakes by just being really tough yeah. and playing really hard. Does does him becoming a twenty minute a game guy or maybe more than that? Does that make Deontay Miles a candidate to be redshirted? I think that's the plan for Deontay right now. Now, I don't know if that'll ever be set in stone because red shirts are decided after the season. Right, no, but I, but it feels like it's trending in that direction. You don't play him in the opener of a blowout win against a rum-dumb opponent, right? Right. Um, the only thing that could change that is maybe an early injury right. to one right. of their big men. Or if you get two or three games into this and, hey, Jason Carter really hasn't turned it on all of a sudden, recovered from his injury and started – because he didn't play well in the opener. Right. I think that was one of the – sort of negative parts of it but he's been out for a month with a back injury so if he gets it going I think they'll definitely feel better about it and then also just you know Daniel Ramsey has missed most of the preseason with a knee injury and then he's missed the last week and a half with a concussion so he's really had no practice to this point you'd like to have a little more depth with at least another body yeah, in there b- barring catastrophic injuries two or three I mean I would I would assume if you get through December and you're the Big East play you, you've kind of made your decision yeah. again barring the fact that you're down to seven scholarship guys right and I think the decision has mostly been made now it's just more a matter of something changes. Okay, does that surprise you? Because Deontay felt like he had a good trip. Um, in the the trip they took, had a pretty good 
preseason buildup? Or is this maybe the right thing to do all along? Because we even talked about when he was recruited, that seemed to be the right thing to do. But then kind of opened some eyes a little bit. And you're thinking, well, maybe he can contribute after all this year. It's only surprising because it seemed like the the rumblings, if you will, at the Centos Center when we were there for practice and things of that nature was, hey, he's he's really opening our eyes. He's doing a lot more than we expected him to. And we also saw him in practice. He was farther along on that learning curve than we expect him to in terms of picking up the system and being where he's supposed to be. Now, is he perfect? Certainly not. He's making a lot of mistakes still. And also physically, he has a long way to go. No doubt. I mean, he got pushed around in the UND exhibition game inside. And I think that was kind of eye-opening for the staff too, that Okay, when the but, lights were on, but, he got shoved around underneath. Yeah, and, and again, you're, you're also looking out for the player here. I mean, you're looking out for your own your own self as a coach to make sure you've got things staggered. But if Tyree Jones and Zach Fremantle are going to get the minutes in the inside and he's going to get five slot minutes, is that worth it? Well, that's exactly the point I mean, yeah. here. I mean, it's, it's interesting with Deontay because Travis Steele truly believes Deontay Miles is an NBA prospect when it's all said and I, done. I, I don't know about that part. I, I've told you all along, I think he, he's, he's going to be a really good college player. Well, well tr- and but that's where it changes. If, if you think he's NBA, it means you may not have him for five years, right? right? I mean, that's the difference. Jason Love um, and James Farr, two examples of guys that didn't redshirt, and Sean Miller and Chris Mack regretted both of those guys because they ended up being there for four years. About two and a half years in, things started to click for those guys, and they had really one great season as a senior. They would have had that one more year. Both those guys could have had unbelievable I careers. Especially for James Farr. I, I, James Farr always just kept getting better and better and better and better. Yeah, but I mean, for two and a half, I mean, middle way through his junior year, people thought, oh, he's definitely transferring after next year. There's no way he'll come back because he wasn't getting the minutes. Something clicked that he needed to become the best rebounder on the team. He was great the mm-hmm. rest of his career. I think that's sort of what they look at with Deontay is that you don't want to cost the chance of him being around for a fifth year where he could be awesome. Uh, for a year where he's not going to play a lot. At the same time, in this day and age where a lot of players leave early, if he ends up leaving after two or three years and you didn't play him for one of those years, you kind of missed out on the production either way. I, so. I get that. I, I, I think it's probably the right thing for the kid, though, too. And I think you made the point physically. I mean, he's got he's just so freakishly long. He reminds me of Jackson Hayes. He yeah. reminds me of a lot of Jackson Hayes. Well, and a good, a good one, Justin Patton from Creighton a couple yeah, years right, ago. Right. He redshirted that year, and, came, and he, he could have helped them that year that he redshirted, but he came back the next year physically ready and he was an awesome player for one year at Creighton before he went to the pros exactly skinny the status of Bengals wide receiver AJ Green changed from him likely playing this Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens to now being quote day-to-day in the span of an hour on Wednesday Zach Taylor said at his weekly press conference that Green was going to practice and that he would probably play on Sunday but when practice started less than an hour later you reported that Green was nowhere to be found Taylor said he was unaware Green wouldn't practice when he held his press conference in between the morning walkthrough and the afternoon practice. What do you make of the A.J. Green debacle at Paul Brown Stadium this week? Uh, There's a lot lot to digest. I want to take him at his word that he didn't feel right. Okay, I want to take him at his word that he didn't feel right. Now, you're also, there's a lot of guys that don't feel right and don't practice or get a day off. And they come out to the practice field to watch the team practice. That That's the thing that struck me as odd. I get that he maybe didn't feel right. Although, from what I understand, when Zach Taylor went to the practice field, he had no idea that A.J. Green was not going to be out there. Uh, that's a little concerning to me. It sounds like to me, and again, I could be dead wrong on this, and I will tell you that I actually agree with what I'm about to say, if that's why he's standing. I mean, making a business decision. I, you know, maybe it was he felt they were getting close to a contract. And listen, I'll play. You guys sign me. I'll play. And now he's feeling like, well, we're not, we're not really getting closer. And I keep feeling more and more about this franchise tag. And I've already told you, you do that to me, and I feel insulted. Yep. And so my leverage now is, 
Ankle's still bugging me a little bit, man. I, I don't, I'm not, you know. And the agent's telling you, dude, don't go out there. If they're not gonna, if they're not gonna negotiate in good faith, you don't have to play now. Come back for three games. Come back for four games. Hell, dude, I think I can get you a deal in the open market if you don't come back at all this year. Now, I think he has to. I think he has to show that he can at least do that. I don't think he does. I do. I um, think most teams that want him would rather him not come back. Maybe, um, and yeah, maybe, but I, I do think he has to show something because I think at some stage you're gonna go. All right, dude, this now this is now you're jaking it. Right now, you still can't completely go, ah, oh, you're making a total business decision. Now it can still be, okay, maybe it doesn't feel right. Again, I want to take you, I want to take him at his word. I really don't know what you can do to tweak it in a walkthrough, although some guys have gotten tweaked in a walkthrough. James or John Ross tweaked a hammy in a walkthrough. I mean, it can it can happen. Not coming off a walkthrough, the head coach going to his press conference saying he's gonna probably play on Sunday, looking forward to getting through a full practice. And not only does he not practice, he's not even he's he's he was at the facility, his car was still there, but he's nowhere to be found on the practice field. That to me is a lot odd. I'm sorry, but that's really odd. You have to feel like this was AJ Green or at least his people sending a message. Yes. You have to. There's no other way to look at this, especially a guy who's been so professional. Here's the thing now. Let's say he let's say he thinks he can come back today. They are going to probably practice in the stadium. We're talking. We're doing this on Thursday morning. They practice this afternoon. You're going to put him on a wet field. I was going to say he's going to come back in the rain. And he did practice in the rain last Wednesday. It was a walkthrough practice then, and and that was kind of him afterwards. That's where we had he kind of held court and talked about my targets next Wednesday, meaning yesterday to come back and practice full. He participated in Monday's walkthrough. Nothing happened. And suddenly he comes off the walkthrough and and Just, nowhere to be found. Yeah, I, I mean, it, and the head coach isn't really aware of it. They have to be sending a message. It makes Zach Taylor look stupid, by the way. I don't know. I, I feel for him. And I, 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 I feel, feel bad for him, him, too, but like you have to feel like this was made for him to look stupid. There's no other well, way to, I to mean, view it. Look, if, if I'm A.J. Green, too, and if I want to take this to the other side, like I said, I want to take him at his word. I truly do. I want to take him at the word that he doesn't feel right. And he has said, I'm not playing unless I'm 100%. He has made that that fully clear. Now, I, I don't know where 100% comes in. I don't. I really don't. Um, but anyway. But he watches Cordy Glenn, right? And he sees Cordy Glenn pull this Jake job, and he's still pulling this Jake job, and he's thinking, wait a minute, this cat ain't busting his ass to get back. Why do I need to? I'm AJ freaking Green, man, and I get it. So, so you're taking advantage of a rookie head coach who has no power because the front office won't help him. Right. That's, that's exactly what I see going on, and it's going to be interesting to see how the media handles this with A.J. Green because just this past week, everyone was on, or a week or two ago, everyone was on the train of, oh, Cordy Glenn looks like an idiot. He, you right. know, he signed up to play and everything because it's Cordy Glenn and everyone, no one has his back. Everyone loves A.J. Green here. Everyone thinks A.J. Green is such a professional and does all the things the right way. So when A.J. Green does exactly what Cordy Glenn did two weeks ago, and I said... I'm with Cordy Glenn. Why would you risk your body at this stage of your career for this NFL joke of a franchise, if you even want to call them that? I go back to, I, I don't I, see how you look teammates in the eye when you pull that kind of stuff. Because it's don't. all a business. It yeah. is all a business. Those guys are out there because they need another job. A.J. Green, he has another job. He doesn't need to earn one. So those guys will understand why he's not out there. And if I'm A.J. Green, I'm looking out for myself because the Bengals haven't looked out for me no, at I, any point of my career. I, yeah, I made that point. I so mean that, I'm not going out and getting hurt for them the, the rest of this year in an 0-8 season. The only thing is, when you said you were coming back, though, that's the other part. He said, I'll be back at full full strength Wednesday. Again, barring a setback and that stuff. I'd have, I'd have bought the setback coming Monday. 
I'm not going to buy it coming off of a walkthrough. I, I want to. I want to take him at his word. I swear to God, I do. And maybe I'm dead wrong. And maybe he did hurt it, Rick. Maybe he did. I mean, it's you got to believe. You got to gotta open up that possibility that maybe it did. Especially with a guy like him. But you're telling me that you come off the walkthrough, go to the press conference, say he's going to play, and 15 minutes after the press conference says practice starts, and you're not even sure why he's not out there. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, it was just so funny to watch. I love the media relations people. They're the best people. I love working with them. But to watch them trot out and cut Zach off at the top of the parking lot coming off the practice field to have to explain to him what, what we're all looking for, it, it's, it's a bad look, man. Of it's course it is. It's a bad look. Yeah, and that's the thing. If, if he did tweak something in a walkthrough or whatever, Zach Taylor would have known. I would have like hoped. Someone would have told Zach Taylor, here's the deal, I, I and he would have made it clear to you guys. This is obviously a power play by A.J. Green and his people, but here's the thing about A.J. Green, the way he's handled himself. He has set himself up to look good in these situations because he's always done the right thing. He's always been a professional. He's always been a team guy. I think, so I, I think, I think a lot of it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm critical of it. I'm a member of the media. I think a couple other people that I know are kind of looking at this with, a, with an eye of, although we do understand it, I do understand it. He's got the leverage, but it's, it's a bad look for A.J. Green to some degree, too. Don't tell me you're coming back and then suddenly you get something nicked in a walkthrough. Come it, on now. It, it may be a bad look for A.J. Green in, in your guys' mind. But here's the reality of the situation. If, you, if he's the guy you all think he is and have all been saying he is for his entire career, then I think you understand. When a guy like that goes and does something like that, then I think you have to look at it and say, maybe this franchise is a joke. Maybe uh, Carson I don't Palmer doubt, was I, absolutely right about all the things he has I don't doubt that. I mean, the column I wrote the other day, I mean, let, put somebody in charge, let me know who it is, and tell me how you're going to fix this mess. So at, I got nothing. I got crickets. I got the poor head coach coming off the practice field, not knowing his guy wasn't out there and having to answer where was AJ? And so then you stumble and bumble and go, well, I, I, you know, I thought he was going to play, and then I got different different words that, that he didn't feel good coming off the walkthrough and had to go to treatment. That's just it's stumbling and bumbling and, is what that is. And if that's how you feel, then how can you not understand where AJ Green is going? I do. To no, no, I do. I just, I don't but understand. But how would you not support that? I, I don't because I you're being paid as a professional to perform and play. You're getting a check to play in games. And when you're healthy enough to play, get your ass out there and play. I mean, I, I'm an old school. Look, dude, I wake up every morning and shit on my body hurts. And guess what I got to do? I got to drag my ass through a 15 hour day. Well, I got to do that. I get that. I'm not AJ Green. I get it. But it doesn't mean I got to respect it. Uh, that's fair. But I mean, my point would be if you had earned, earned to the point where you were making millions of dollars and you got to dictate to local 12, hey, I'm, I'll show up when you guys get your management figured out. When you put people around me to succeed, when I, you can dictate that and they'll still keep I'm not employed. wired. I'm not wired that way. I'm just not. I, I know other people are. I'm just not wired that I, way. I get that. But look, it's the leverage he has earned and it's how the sport works. Like, no, let's not kid ourselves that people hold out for trades and contracts yes. and everything all the time. You are literally putting your career on the line every time you walk and out this, on the field. And this continues to show why this team is so mismanaged. There's no doubt about that. Of I'm course. the first and foremost in this city to tell you I. it is such a train wreck. I can't support it. And Skinny, here's the other issue. Nothing's going to change if these guys don't do this stuff. Like, as fans, people should want this because nothing's going to change if you don't start having guys like A.J. Green sit out. Well, here's what it comes down to, and I mentioned it last week. This is not going to end well no matter how it ends. You're either giving sure. big money to a guy who's 32 and gets hurt and doesn't play or you're going to tag him, which is going to tick him off, or you're going to let him walk and get no value when you could have gotten some value. Now, again, you could have tagged, you could tag him and trade him. Maybe there's some value there. But it's, it's please, somebody at Paul Brown Stadium, wake up and fix this. This is why we all wanted him traded two weeks ago. Exactly. Thank you. Rookie quarterback Ryan Finley will get his <laughs> I shot. I like the to calm transition there. <laughs> that was well done. 
<laughs> Rookie quarterback Ryan Finley will get his shot to lead the Bengals for the first time on Sunday in Baltimore. Pity, pity poor Ryan Finley. The Bengals currently rank 25th in the NFL in total offense, and this might surprise you. They're 11th in passing yards per game. Of course, that's because they're usually behind on throwing all game. What should Bengals fans expect from Ryan Finley? Will he make an impact, whether it be positive or negative, on this team? I think it'll be negative. I mean, he, how could he, it be? He's, he's, he's not worse. Yeah. The problem is, though, can can he play outside linebacker on on Sunday? Will that? Who's, no, can he block? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think the offense is going to be upgraded significantly by Ryan Finley. I do think it's interesting, and I'm glad that there's something interesting in Week Nine with an 0 and 8 team to watch. Yeah, at least you'll have a storyline to write about, yes. right? And you know, I, I like his confidence. I was asked yesterday. I was on with Mo Egger, and he said, "What did you, what have you made of Ryan so far in dealings?" And I said. This is going to sound like a negative word, and I don't mean it to be. He's got a level of arrogance to him. and that, that, That's that, a good thing Usually it's a negative connotation, right, if you're arrogant. But he's got that arrogance with almost like a, guys, you guys are all worked up with this. Relax. I, I, I can do this. And maybe he can. Maybe at the end, we're going to look up and go, golly, his arrogance was right. He good luck, really Chief. can do this. But I, I got to see it. I mean, yeah, to yeah. ask me this question, I, I honestly, I, to, to answer your question, I, I don't know what to expect. Um He's going to get blitzed to the bejesus belt and back, and I don't know how does he stand up to that. Um, you know, he's talked about I've seen blitzes in college. You ain't seen you ain't seen NFL blitzes, bub. I know you've watched it on film, but it's the whole processing of it in real time can be very difficult. He's a smart guy. I'm not here to tell you he can't get you in and out of some stuff, but they're going to try to confuse him. I mean, you saw the other night um, all the blitzing that that uh, Baltimore did, and how confused at times the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, looked. I mean, that's yeah. Tom Brady, bro. And they were messing with his head. What do you think they're going to do to this guy? It ain't going to be easy. And he, I liked in preseason that the one thing, if you're transitioning from Andy Dalton, that you want to see, in my opinion, is a guy who has some poise under pressure. Because that's I the, thought he did a really good job. And people always, when you talk about Quinn, you talk about scrambling, right? Like it, right. He, he doesn't do that. No, but he does a good cool. job. It's like it's like Brady. You watch Brady, man. Brady's so good at sliding around the pocket and buying a, yeah. an, an, an extra look, an extra two looks. And that can sometimes be all the difference in the world. I thought Ryan did a good job of that. Now, again, they're not scheming against him. They don't have film on him. He's playing Second against two strings. Yeah. So all that. But he did. I, you know, I say that. I don't mean to crap on him. He did exactly what you would want the guy to do in that situation, if not more. I mean, he opened my eyes. Yeah, when you mentioned the arrogance part, that's exactly what I'd like to hear because in the preseason, the one thing that stood out was he did have poise. He was under pressure constantly. He was getting hit, and he was able to step up, feel the pocket a little bit, and make some plays while under duress. That's the one thing you want to see if you're going away from Andy Dalton. That being said, I'll tell you what to expect of him. Absolutely nothing different than what we've already seen because there's nothing any quarterback could do with this personnel right now. Unless he had 18 out there. You don't have 18, enough weapons. 18 would help. No, it wouldn't. But you want to know why? Because your offensive line can't give you enough time to do anything or see the field or build any confidence or build a rhythm or anything. It's so it's such a joke. I would say the, the, the fact they're starting him in this game, probably in my opinion, isn't the best landing spot you for think? him. You think? Um, you know, Andy Dalton. But he was, had an extra week, Skinny. I know. Andy Dalton has had a lot of success against against uh, Baltimore over the years, and part of it is is because he can see things and process things and get things done. Um, I, I've told you at some point Ryan Finley should start this year. I don't know if this is the right place. Again, it's interesting. It makes me interested. Temperatures dropping. I think you're still going to have an empty Paul Brown Stadium. I don't think he moves the. He's got to do. He's got to prove to a fan base that he can move the needle. And you're not going to go down there and go. Can't wait to see Ryan Finley. I was there for Ryan Finley's first start. If this dude, of eleven in his NFL career. If this dude wins six games in a row, no one's going to care. Oh, I think they would. At that no, point. they oh, won't. Yeah, 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 they would. No, yeah, they, they would. The Brown family, maybe. No, I think the fan base. would. If you losers in this city start going to games again because this 
rookie quarterback has won six games with this group of losers, you should honestly nah, move would, to St. Dude, Louis. Dude, that would move the needle. I'm not going to lie. That would move the needle. And rightfully so. Because then you look and you go, because you have something to hang your hat on. Here's, there's your quarterback for the future. If this happens. But, it, but it's, it's it, look, if, look, drop the if. It's not going to happen. If that happens, I'm denouncing my fandom of the Bengals. I, because it's exactly what the Brown family wants. Salvage a couple wins dude, so you can move on like okay, nothing bad no, ever happened. That's the part. I think they would be put put some faith in him if he did go two and six or three and five. Hell yeah, that doesn't would. move the needle. Yeah, if, I mean, if you won six in a row, come on now, don't be silly. If you won six in a row with this guy, it wouldn't matter because oh, next yeah, year you're going to be in the same position with a crappy offensive line and but no defense. But you would have taken care of your well. No, you got Jonah Williams and you'll draft hopefully for that part and you'll you'll do something in the offseason. But you would have answered your quarterback question that way. You don't go in next year's draft needing a quarterback. Which let's Maybe. face it, this is basically to see can Ryan Finley be a capable NFL quarterback as a backup. This is what this is all about as a backup. Yes, yeah, and it, but if he wins six games, guess what? He's He's the new starter. And that's fine. Great. You earned it. We really won't know anything at oh, this yes. point. The Bengals Dude, are 0-8 right brother, now. No one cares to play if, them. Hang on. If he won six games in a row with it, this crap team, that I, tells me this this dude is pretty damn special. I disagree. Oh, my goodness. Come I on I could now. not disagree Don't more. be illogical, Wami. I don't think that's illogical. Winning six games with this team right now would mean absolutely nothing. Oh, I think it would mean a ton. It would mean that he can be a capable backup going forward. No, if it would tell. If, if he him. pulls off six wins... I'm telling you, I would I would be the first to stand up and go, wow, he blew me away. I mean, maybe if he does it while while just playing out of his mind, yes. chances are they're going to be dumping off, handing Correct. off, and some other team's going to fall so, asleep because they're playing the Bengals, and that's how they're going to sneak out a it's win. It's not going to happen. Of course not. But if it does, it'd move the needle. Okay. I disagree. All right. Skinny, how did we do in our betting picks last week? It wasn't good. It wasn't good for either one of us. Although I will say I had a parlay and a teaser at the at the at the at the book of choice that worked out pretty well for me on Sunday. I did need the Seattle Seahawks on the money line to come through. A little scary there. Missed the field goal and over yeah. or the regulation. You had to win in overtime. I was sweating that how many, one out. How many games was on that ticket? Uh seven. Seventeen parlay. Oh. Yeah, it was, oh, a, good, it was a, a good nice one. little payoff. I actually had a couple of I had Kansas City on the money line on that parlay. I had uh I had another underdog. Oh, I had the Chargers on the money line oh, on that parlay. So yeah, right it was there. a good one. It was a good one. Yeah, you are. Uh, but in the ones that we do here on the on the show, I was three and five. I'm sixty seven, fifty seven, and one for the season. You were three and five. You maintain a five game lead. Very very solid. Seventy two, fifty two, and one. You need to get yourself a nine hundred service. Is what you need. Do they even have those anymore? Oh, I think I've called a few. Johnny DeMarco, he went 5-0. and oh. He's going to smash your man. Stu Finer. Stu Finer. Stu Finer's still alive? Oh, yeah. He works oh, for Barstool my. now. Does he really? He does, oh, yeah, come on. He does their betting show every Saturday. Yep. Stu Finer. Holy yeah. Toledo. All right. All right. Saturday at noon, Skinny. The Buckeyes are back in action. Yes, They're hosting they Maryland. This spread, 43.5 points. 65 is the total. Skinny, I've been betting the Buckeyes all year. Can I do it again? I mean, Vegas... Will you do it this way? Vegas is trying, right? They're trying. Already did. Already got them in a parlay. Laying the 43... (laughs) Actually, I'm laying 44 on my parlay. I love it. Um, I love it. Look, Maryland's not going to score, and if they do, it's seven. So I'm going to give Maryland their cursory seven. And Ohio State's going to roll up a first half that's going to be somewhere in the mid-40s because Maryland is so bad. It'll be You're going to sweat the cover, I believe. But at the end of the day, the Buckeyes do cover. I'll go 59-7 Ohio State. Yo, what did what did they lose to Penn State? Maryland lost to Penn State like 52-0. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah. They're, they're, they, they lost last week to Michigan 38-7. And that's a Michigan offense that once they got the lead, you know what Harbaugh's going to do. He's just going to run it. it. thing is, when Ohio State gets the lead, they're going to get three and outs. And then they're going to run it. They're going to break long runs for touchdowns. 
Yeah, I'm going. I'm pretty much right with you on this one. I mean, Vegas is trying, right? Forty three and a half is it obscene? It's that a is lot. literally they're it, giving you a three quarter jump on the game. It actually makes me feel a little sick in my stomach to bet that number, and I'm absolutely going to do it. You can't. Thing is, I there's one of two things you do if you really are betting this game, right? You're either taking Ohio State. Or you're not playing it. One or the other. You're not taking... Yeah, you, no one in their right mind is taking Maryland. I agree. You're an idiot if you're taking Maryland. I'm sure some people out Somebody there will, will be doing and it. And they'll probably cover and we'll look like idiots. Uh, but I, I would either take Ohio State and just root like hell for the Buckeyes to cover the big number or stay away from it. I'm with you. I'm going Ohio State 55, Maryland 7. So that's Ohio State so and both, the under. <laughs> I went... Oh, I barely went over. I got 59-7. Okay. Yeah. So that, that over is interesting at 65 because... Well, the thing is... It's basically Ohio asking Ohio State to score all of it. Almost all, yes. <laughs> yes. And that sometimes can be tough to do. That's a lot at 65. I'm going to go just yeah, under. The fear here is, is that it becomes, don't, all of a sudden, hey, by the way, don't root for like 42 nothing at the half. No. 42 nothing at the half is Not good for run you. out the clock. That's Well, I guess it would, you can get a field goal in the second half. But bottom line is, you want this to gradually build a little bit, right? Yeah, you want like a 35-3 score at half. That'd be perfect. Yeah, they get, yeah it's perfect. Yeah. All right. All right, then Saturday at 3.30, we've got UConn at Cincinnati. The Bearcats in this one are favored by 35 points. The total, 54.5. UC coming off a lackluster performance at East Carolina, but they came through, got a win to stay on track, just barely pulled it out. Um, a very high-scoring game there. Skinny, what do you think about this one? Yeah, UConn is awful. Let's start there. They are awful, but East um, Carolina wasn't very good either. No, something's wrong with UC's defense. I, I they, They're giving up a lot of big plays to some mediocre teams. Um, you know, the, to my, my man Tony Pike calls these get-right games, and this is kind of a get-right game. It is. But at the same time, I, I, I think the over is a cinch because um, I think UC's, UConn's defense is just so, so bad. But UC's defense is not playing great right now either. I'll go Bearcats 55-24. Oh, wow. So, Rock, I can't do that. 55, I'll go 55-27. I'll go UConn to cover and it to go comfortably over. All right. Yeah, I mean, you're way You have UC getting the over by themselves yes. in this one. Um, man, that's... That's such a high number. I do. You did kind of talk me into the over here a little bit because you know UC's defense has and UConn, been struggling. UConn actually offensively isn't putrid. They're putrid on the other side of the ball. They can, yeah. It just you never know what you're going to get with that UConn offense. Sometimes they turn the ball over four times. Other times, well, that would benefit UC to score short field touchdowns though. Yes, it will. And push it over. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little more conservative here. I'm going UC 38, UConn 10. So UConn covers. UC has 38 in the first under. half. Okay, I mean, you could be right. I don't feel good about that, but what I saw last week... Don't put up 46 in a game where they didn't have a lot of possessions because the defense was on the field a lot. They needed to do that against East Carolina to win the game. I know. Yeah. They, I, think, I think they score a bunch here. I do think they give up some points. They there. haven't done that in games they've dominated, but we will see. So you're see. going UConn, and we're both going UConn to cover. You're going under. I'm going way over. Well over. That's yeah. my my lock of the week is the over. All right. Saturday, 7.30 p.m., you've got Tennessee at Kentucky. This line uh, is Kentucky is favored by one now. I think Tennessee started out favored I by one. I think they did too, but I it believe. is one. But yeah. yeah, Kentucky favored by one now. The total in this game is 42. Tennessee's playing better. I mean, they had that disastrous start with Georgia State. Um, yeah, they're playing a lot better. They look like they were basically going to implode, and Jeremy Pruitt was going to lose his job. They're playing better. But, you know, Kentucky Kentucky showed some metal in that Missouri game, and they're coming off of a bye to get themselves a little healthier. I think just – I had them rolling Missouri, and they did. I think they, they rolled Tennessee. It's going to be cold. Tennessee didn't want to come up and play in the cold. Kentucky probably didn't want either. But, I mean, if you look – 
Kentucky's losses are Florida by a point at home when they were fully healthy. Mississippi State in a feel-sorry-for-yourself game. South Carolina when the quarterback got hurt again. And Georgia, and they weren't going to go down and beat Georgia anyway and played them tough for two and a half quarters. I think Kentucky's just a better team. I, th- I think they get a chance to get on a roll to end the season. I'll go Kentucky 27-17, so I'll go UK in the over. I actually do think Kentucky is the better team. Um, I just think there seems to be always something about this game where UK – doesn't show up. Not, but they've, they've played them better the last five to seven years. I mean, they, they it, for a long time, the rivalry wasn't there. Now they yeah. can go in and beat Tennessee. Tennessee's been so down. They, they've yeah. had their chances. But I still think Tennessee seems to come out on top in these close games against Kentucky for whatever reason. I'm going to go Tennessee 24, Kentucky 17. The Vols win by a touchdown, and it goes under. All right, so we're both on the complete opposite sides. I've got Kentucky in the outright win and the over. All right, and that takes us to our NFL games this week. Uh, Miami of Ohio already played this week. They got a big win, by the way. They won by three against Ohio to take control of the Mac East. They are 4-1 they are in the Mac East. They would have the tiebreaker over Ohio head-to-head, which now has two losses, and Buffalo head-to-head, which has two losses. So they're in the driver's seat. Shout-out to Jed Demusi. He told me they were going to win that game. Love and honor. I told them they were. Go- I was going to bet against them, but then the line got to 8.5 instead of seven so i didn't bet it thankfully very good move i feel pretty good about that all right back to our nfl spreads now starts thursday night game 8 20 we've got chargers at the raiders the chargers are the one point favorite the total in that game is 49 chargers have lost some weird games this year but yes, i they think have. they're still a really good team and i think they showed that against green bay um I, 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 the, the Raiders are still interesting. I mean, they've got something offensively, it seems like, going, but defensively, they're just not, they, don't, never they don't have yeah. a lot of talent. I'm going to go Chargers. I'll go Chargers 31 24. Chargers in the over. All right, I'm going to stick to my unders. I've ridden three unders already. I'm going to go under for a fourth straight pick here. I'm going to say Raiders 24, Ooh. Chargers 21. So the Raiders get the outright win. And the under, with that game only being a, a one-point spread, you're not really getting a whole lot of no. money there to take the money line. But it's uh, I still like the Raiders. So um, Sunday at 1 p.m., we've got the Ravens in Cincinnati playing the Bengals. Ravens are favored by 10 in that game. The total is 44 and the hook. I'm going to go with an oddball score because I think the Bengals cover it. And the second time they've been a double-digit dog to the Ravens. They were a double-digit dog in Baltimore. Baltimore's coming off that, that big win. So here's what Vegas does. Vegas realizes that the Bengals suck. And they realize the public sees Baltimore winning that game on Sunday. And this seems like a very doable line with a rookie quarterback. Sure. But I think it's the natural thing of life. You have a letdown. They know what they're coming into. And and I think it's kind of like that last game where they get a little bit of a lead and then they're able to run the ball maybe for three or four first downs and get a penalty and punt. But they've wasted five minutes of clock time and they do it again. And still, Baltimore's going to win this thing. But I'm going to go by the oddball score of five field goals for, for Justin Tucker, 22-13. So I'm going to go Bengals to cover and the under. Wow, you like like a little backdoor cover action from Ryan Finley? No, like yeah, I think, I think no, I think it's it's 19 to 13, believe it or not. And Baltimore goes on an 11 minute drive and settles for a 22 <laughs> yard Tucker field goal to ice it 22 13. Okay, I like how specific you got there. I love that. Uh, Ravens 34. Bengals 17 is what I'm going oh, with. Oh, you got a 17. Well, yeah. you got it. Wow. Yeah, so I, I this is the first game I'm taking the over. I think uh, that this one is going to get out of hand, and then it's going to be sort of like that game where you just don't really care. If You're right. The Ravens, they've got the big win. I think they're going to have a little bit of a letdown game, but the Bengals are still so bad, and the Ravens are rolling offensively that it's not going to matter. How are the Bengals linebackers going to be able to catch up to Lamar Jackson when he starts running the ball No, I, I, on a broken they, third down and, play? And they didn't the last time, but there were – there were times the Ravens just got sloppy. They'd have a pre-snap penalty. They'd have a hold and put Lamar in a third and 
15. And so as the game went along, and I think that's the same thing that happens here. They, I think some of it is what you just said. They get off to a nice lead, and then you lose your focus because, hey, this is easy. And it's not. And that's when a hole comes in, and that's when some bad penalty comes in. And so, I, I again, I it, it's impossible to think the Bengals win. I could see this being 27 to nothing, too. I could see Ryan Finley getting blitzed into submission and just being being Achilles Smith-like. but Nothing would surprise me here except for a Bengals win. Except for a Bengals win. Yeah. All right, and that takes us to our Sunday night game at 820. We've got the Vikings in Dallas playing the Cowboys. Cowboys are favored by three points. The total is 47.5. Man, that Vikings defense, which I thought was pretty good, suddenly isn't so good. Now, they can run the ball, but Dallas, I think Dallas has gotten itself a lot right. Um, Dak Prescott's been on fire. Um, I'm going to go Cowboys at home here. I think they're starting to get on a little bit of a roll. I'll go Dallas 27 21 so dallas and the over there I'm, I'm i'm big on the over trains for the most part yeah we're, we're riding sort of the opposites on the totals here um i like the cowboys as well at home i think this is going to be a close game um but i'm with you the minnesota's defense recently has worried me i think the cowboys will be able to run the ball effectively i'm going 24 20 dallas wins so that's cowboys and the, the under. under you're right yeah. the under train i'm riding the over train one of us is gonna have a good week yeah we'll see <laughs> Monday night, 8-15, Seahawks at 49ers. 49ers are favored by six in that game. 46.5 is the total. What do you think? The 49ers take the L finally? See, I'm going to go with my, my heart here because I have a I have a bet with a couple of other riders. We each took an NFC West team for a, a, a bottle of, of fine bourbon. The, the, the losers have to buy the winner. I have Seattle. Paul Daner has San Francisco. Ooh. He's kind of in the driver's seat. Tyler Dragon has... has um, has the Rams, and unfortunately Ben Baby, and we told him we'd buy him double. He got stuck with the Arizona Cardinals. That's so, rough. Yeah, that's rough for him. I felt bad for him. So I'm going with my heart here. I'm going with the Russell Wilson train. The guy has been just magnificent. Seattle's defense is, is not very good. The big injury here, though, losing Quan Alexander, how is that going to affect that San Francisco defense? Yeah, could um, be big. I think it's big. I'm going to go Seattle in a shootout, 31-30. So I think they win it outright. So I love getting the six, and I think it goes way over the 46 and a half. Yeah, we uh, we continue to remain opposite. This is going to be an interesting week for us. I'm high on the 49ers right now. They have this game at home. I think this is a game where, look, the Seahawks defense has not impressed me the last few weeks. No, it's been bad. I think the 49ers roll up a ton of points here. I'm going 49ers 31, Seahawks 20. So 49ers easily cover, and the game hits the over here. All right. We got a couple college basketball ones to get to. Yeah, we're going to get into some college basketball, Skinny. And it starts on uh, Friday. Well, I mean, obviously these teams are playing multiple games a week. But we'll talk about the the weekend games starting with Friday night, 7 p.m. EKU is at Kentucky. The Wildcats, and again, we're using Ken Pomeroy to make these lines. It's usually pretty close to Vegas. Uh, last year was almost dead on most of the year, but uh, they don't have these lines out before the day of the game. So right. Kentucky favored by 31 against Eastern Kentucky. 151 is the total in that game. I don't know what to think. I think this is a game Kentucky gets up by whatever score it does, but 30. if it, if it is 31, that's just too big of a number. Um, I'll go UK 80 to 58. So I go way under, and and Eastern Kentucky would cover the 31 fairly easily. Yeah, no, I think uh, EKU is a bit of a slap outfit, and I think Kentucky rolls up 95 on them, wow. so it's going to be 95-63. UK gets the cover and the over in this one against the Eastern Kentucky Colonels. And that takes us to Friday night where the Northern Kentucky Norse, this is the big game it's of the week game. locally, yep. are traveling to Missouri the Tigers are favored by 13 in that game. The total is 139. 
I don't. What, what do you make of their opening game win? I mean, they beat UC Claremont, overmatched them 105-55. The one thing Nothing. that stuck out to me was it looked like they shot it great. Yeah, they did not shoot the ball that well from the outside and still scored 105 I know. points. There's literally nothing that can be taken away from a 105-55 game against a school that lost to Thomas Moore by 150 points right, as well. Right. Um, the shooting is something I'm not hugely concerned about because, like, Tyler Sharp is going to make shots, and he didn't make shots in that game. You know what I mean? So, right. like, no, right. it, it was their shooters not making shots. I don't have a big concern about NKU not being able to shoot. However, I do think Missouri is able to win this game and cover the spread. I'm yeah, you a little, go first. I, I've been going first every time. I'll let you go first. I'm a little surprised the spread is only 13 here because I was hoping it would be closer to 20 and we could get that that halftime spread at around 10-ish. Yep. I felt NKU would be good on that I, first I've got a score round. written down. I want to see where you go with this. All right. I'm going Missouri 78, NKU 63. So Missouri just ah. covers that spread by 15 <laughs> And uh, the over hits. Yeah, I, I, you and I are different on the over. We're almost the same on the spread. I got Missouri 69-53. I think you go from a UC Claremont game where scoring is easy to a game where you've got to make shots. I think it's just a lot different. Well, especially against this Missouri team who, Quanzo Martin, known for defense. He's going to slow it down. He's going to make it tough. But the reason I'm going over on this one is because that total is only set at 139, and NKU is going to try to go up tempo. They are. They're going to try to run you a little bit. Missouri, because they'll probably have the lead, they'll give in that game a little bit more and play at a higher okay. tempo than they normally do. Right. So that's why I'm going over. So we, we both have, with if the spread is at 13, which we've got it set at from Ken Palm, uh, we both have Missouri to cover. You've got the over. I've got the under. Correct. And then Friday at 7 p.m., you've got Siena at Xavier. Uh, Xavier is favored by 20 in this game, according to Ken Pomeroy. The total is 140. I'll go X to take a little step forward off the Jacksonville game and give them, give them a very comfortable 79-56 victory. And it's not as comfortable as I, as, I, as I made it out to be, I guess. And I got it going under. All right, yeah, so they do cover the 20. Cover you got to win by yep. 23 there. Yep. Um, I'm going, I think Xavier's going to score a little bit more in this game. Their defense has been excellent so far, so I think that will allow them to get to the, the number this time. I'm going XU wins 83-62, so they just pull off that 20. They win by 21, and it hits the over okay. as well, taking us into our final game. This one will be on Monday night at 7 p.m., Drake comes to Cincinnati to play the Bearcats. The Bearcats are favored by 16 in that one. The total is 142. Um, I, I think UC getting back to home. Um, I, I think they get themselves right offensively. I'll go Bearcats. Bearcats 80 to 60. So you, oh, it just stays under 80 to 60. UC and the under. Yeah, I'm going to say John Brannon has an opportunity. They're coming off that first game. Didn't get to show who they are, exactly how he wants to play in his style. I think this game, they're going to turn up the full court press a little bit. They're going to get more easy baskets. I think they go over and they score 85, beat Drake 85-66. That'll mean UC covers and they hit the over. Um, so I went almost all under in the football games, almost all, all over in the, in the college basketball games. I think so I went the exact opposite. And don't, don't fade me. I think I went the exact opposite. Or I should say, do fade do me. Do fade you, yes. Yeah. All right, Skinny, a couple national headlines to wrap up the podcast here. The ACC promoted its new television network this week by having its teams play conference games to open the season. This led to matchups such as number 5 Louisville traveling to Miami and number 9 North Carolina hosting Notre Dame. Do you like the idea of high major teams playing marquee conference matchups the first week of the season? First off, I love the fact that I was only home for a period of time. Um, I had basketball practice, so I actually watched the, tried to watch the start of the Louisville-Miami game. Except when I turned on my ACC network, guess what we were watching? ACC soccer because the game spilled into overtime. What a genius move. We're going to put our games on and yet not be able to show you our games. You're kidding. No, I'm not that kidding. That was the decision they made to leave the soccer game on? To leave game the on. soccer game on. 
for about another 20 minutes. I finally did cut to the basketball. I think 16 to 9 was the oh, score. When it, yeah. my God. Yeah, that's genius to me. Just genius. Anyway, I don't. I, I dislike this. I hate this. I think it's just stupid. I think the thing that a lot of the casual fan, a lot of times, and I, I, I don't mean to sound condescending, I think they think that a team on November the 5th is the same as the team on February 23rd, good and bad. But it's a process. That's that's how this is. And that's what December, November, December is supposed to be about is building the process to the conference games. Right. And being able to get a feeling out. And yeah, you're going to get some tests in there. You're going to play some non-conference tests. Um, not everything's a cupcake, but the whole thing is a process building up towards conference. Conference building towards NCAA tournament. The same team on November the 5th isn't the same on January 9th. And the team on January 9th isn't the same as they are on March the 1st. And that's good and bad. Sometimes teams look like world beaters in non-conference. You think the world of them, and they get in the league, and they're just they're, they're not, the, not as good, and injury happens. So to start off a, your season playing a league game, a game that actually matters, it's stupid. It's just stupid. And look, I love the fact from a TV perspective, I can watch a... Carolina Notre Dame or a Miami Louisville or pick a game but at the same time I think it's damn dumb how do you feel about the Champions Classic where it's not a I conference love game but I you have two you know number I, one versus number two number three versus number four I, I, I do like that I think, so it's just you don't want the conference games yes. because that matters yeah that matters more to me and I know you can say everything matters because of seating and because of RPI and Ken Palm and those things I get that and I will tell you, I mean, I like that the Champions Classic, but neither none of those teams played worth a damn. No. I mean, they really didn't, right? Yeah, and that's part of the thing. Um, it's funny, right before we started this podcast and had no idea that we were going to talk about this, but uh, Dan, the guy that I do my Xavier podcast with, he had texted me and Brian Snow and said, I used to always advocate for more big you know, non-conference games early in the season, but after watching the last couple nights, I, I kind of disagree because the basketball is so bad. Yeah. And it is a good point. Like, yes, it was awesome watching Kentucky and Duke and Kansas and, at, Michigan, State. and Michigan State, but... Though, but like at the same time, it wasn't really them. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'd much rather see them in two weeks play each other, probably because it'd be a much more uh, realistic showing of what they're going to be in the mid to late in the season. That being said, I mean that Kentucky Michigan state finish was fun. I mean, Tyrese Maxey was awesome. So I can't say that I didn't enjoy it from an entertainment but, perspective. But here, here's the, here's the sad part about something like that. Let's, let's fast forward to March and around selection time. And let's say it's down to Kentucky and Michigan state for the final one seed. I'm just spitballing here a little bit. Yep. You have to hearken back to that game, right? Of course. But they're not the same. They're not even close to the same teams at no, that point. No, but I think, but I do think those games should matter. I mean, it's sort of like what we've well, done do. with the— Right, and uh, we've done that with the NCAA tournament for a reason. It used to be the last 10 games were weighted more heavily than the other games you played throughout the season, the first 21 or whatever it was. I don't think it should be that way for this exact reason. Like, if you go and play a big-time team early in the season and you beat them, that should matter. Like, because you it might... Do, it, it does, but it does. I mean, it does. I know, but yeah. it should. You're, you're kind of arguing that it shouldn't because they're not going to be the same team. Well, you might lose a guy. You might have injuries. There might be reasons that you're not playing your best at the end of the year, despite the fact that early in the te- year, you're a damn good team. Yeah. And when you get everyone back, you'll still be a damn good team. So, you advocate, so do you advocate for these? I don't like conference games. Yeah, be- that, for the yeah. Sa- I think you hit it on the nail on the head. The conference games just mean a little bit too much for 
you know, seeding purposes in your conference tournament and then how you end up going on in the postseason. So to me, that's a little bit too much, but I do like the I mean, fact that Virginia, that Virginia Syracuse game set basketball back to the 1950s. Now it wouldn't matter when they played that. That's going to be an ugly ass. Game. Oh, I, that, 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 that even turned what you know was going to be ugly into the ugliest well, thing ever. No, it was brutal. Th- that's those two coaches. I have no sympathy for any of those fans because they support those two coaches. Look, I, those, those teams are going to look that way no matter what. I I do think that the like the Champions Classic is awesome. I don't know if I like it. It's fun that it's on the opening night because it's exciting to be like talk about. But at the same time, it'd probably be a lot better if that was a week or two later. Yeah, and the, the only other part too is for for all the, the the four teams that were involved, they can now take two weeks off, three weeks off of playing by games, and always go back to say, listen, we played a tough game off the bat. We're going to play our by games and then ease into you know Kentucky, Louisville, whatever Kentucky, Carolina, you know the the, the rivalry non conference games into December. So it does give you a little pass for that as opposed to you're playing eight straight by games and this is not fun for anybody. But again, this is such a work in progress that it just makes it it makes it tough for me to say, boy, conference games off the bat are really no, they're not really good. They're stupid. They're a money grab. The other thing I do like about the big games, not conference games, but just like the Champions Classic, is from a standpoint of like the individual players, like the Naismith Award, putting Tyrese Max on the Gets same floor radar. as Cassius Winston right. for the first night of the season. I mean, I think that really changed the race, especially for Cassius Winston, because he was like the de facto Naismith Player of the Year award winner in the preseason, especially if you look at the Vegas odds. Right. Now I'd have to imagine that has changed drastically because his probably biggest marquee television opportunity, he was kind of a dud, especially compared to the freshman point guard who upstaged him and won the game. I think that definitely changed that that voting there, at least until he does something tremendous later in the year during Big Ten play. Yep. All right, Skinny, let's wrap up with this. And, you know, the Bengals are going to be playing the Ravens, so this is kind of local and national. But Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson put on a show during Sunday Night Football. He's completed 17 of 23 passes for 163 yards and a touchdown. He also ran for 61 yards and two touchdowns in the win over the Pats. Every time there's a new athletic quarterback who uses running as a main weapon, there's a lot of controversy surrounding him. One group will say he should switch positions and can't cut it without being a, quote, pure dropback passer, while the other group will tout him as the, quote, future of the NFL. Are you buying stock in Lamar Jackson? Do you think he's something new or different from what we've seen? I think he's way different, and I was one that didn't buy stock in him to begin with. I, I thought it was I thought A, he's gonna get himself killed. Uh, B, I didn't like his mechanics as a passer, and I'm still not overly thrilled with it, but he's made strides and he and to their credit, they have built the offense to suit him. When he does drop back, it's usually to take a deep shot down the field. Other than that, there's a lot of a lot of bootleg stuff, and they use the three tight ends and two tight ends, and he's finding them quickly in the flat and getting it out of his hands. And I will say as a runner to this point, he hasn't taken a lot of shots. He does a pretty good job of being slippery, going down, getting out of bounds, knowing how to maybe not take a direct hit. I just continue to fear with guys like this that it all it takes is that one direct hit. Now, I know, and I heard an argument for this last night, and it's a great argument. Jacoby Brissett hurt his knee by standing in the pocket and getting rolled up on. Um, right. And that can happen, too. Aaron Rodgers has gotten hurt staying in the pocket and getting his knee rolled up on. Um, I do think he's different because he is, without doubt in my mind, the most athletic quarterback that's ever come around. And that includes Colin Kaepernick. That includes RG3. I mean, he just has a different gear in space running. I mean, my goodness gracious, it looks like a gazelle. It, looks like, it really does. At times, it looks like men and boys. Um, like, he's just playing with people out there. And so, yeah, I think he is different. I will say, I guess I do buy stock in him. And some of it is they've done a great job building the offense around the guy. But I don't think it's the wave of the future. I just think it's this guy. This guy is this special with his, with his abilities and talents. I think it's just a singular guy. Yeah, and I think that's the way it is a lot of times when we talk about these things. It's never really been about 
is the NFL moving in a new direction? That's not what's happening. Like, yes, guys are getting more athletic, but that's the dropback passers too. It's It has to do more with, like you said, is the individual talent enough to win games in the NFL? And that really, running can be a part of what you do regardless, but to do that, you have to make plays as a passer, whether that's in the pocket, on the run, whatever, what have you. Like I said, you, they, they've done a good job of building him to have success in the passing game. I, I agreed. I totally agree with that. And I, I just don't think, like, there's always seems to be this notion that the guys who succeed doing this, it's always temporary because they're not doing it a certain way. And to me, that's just not I true. I think the temporary is they get hurt. I mean, RG3 and, was doing some really good things until RG3 got hurt. So that's an interesting, uh, interesting point. And I do think... Lamar Jackson is different from RG3. I do think he's different from Marcus Mariota. I do think he's different. And Marcus Mariota didn't use his running skills as much as I thought they were going to use them in Tennessee, and he never proved to be a very great passer. Yeah, I can't remember the the other running quote, oh, Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Um, to me, what he is, is he's the closest thing, and, and we've had comparisons to him a billion times, and it's never never measured up. But he's Michael Vick. He he's not. He may not be quite Michael Vick, but he's the closest thing to right. playing like Vick. And you mentioned him sort of toying with guys in the backfield. That's exactly where I see Vick in him because RG three was a tremendous athlete and he could make plays off designed runs. But no one since Vick has had this same acceleration and quickness and ability yeah. to just be have a totally broken play. Guys chasing you in the backfield and they're not even worried because they know they can escape two guys with their legs. Even NFL linebackers who are just tremendous athletes, they're still able to avoid those no, guys. Right. Well, Michael's a great comparison because he, he could throw it enough. He had a great arm down the field. I mean, he threw, he threw great deep balls. I mean, uh, Michael Vick is still the biggest what if to me in NFL history because of the years in jail where he would have probably made that transition sort of like the LeBron Michael Jordan transition where you get older in your career, your athleticism starts to be less dynamic. You have to develop the fadeaway and the ISO, the mid range game and all that. I felt like Michael Vick got robbed of his years in the NFL where he was going to develop that part of his game and people are going to trust him in the latter, later stages. Now, he still had a good career, and I don't think we've seen anything else like him ever Until now. at any point in the NFL. But Lamar Jackson is the closest thing we've seen. I do think he's different, um, at least aside from Michael Vick. And uh, I'm I'm really excited to see what the future holds for him. I don't know that he's going to be great. But I do think he's at least sort of like Vic, where he's going to be a winning quarterback for That's multiple thing. teams, probably. The, the other thing you start to point to now is the guy is just a flat winner. I mean, he yeah. won big at Louisville. Now, granted, the, the, the his, his Heisman year, the, they kind of tanked at the end, and Kentucky beat him on a last-second field goal. They were awful in the bowl game. But for the most part, Lamar through college was a winner. Lamar got inserted in the starting lineup last year at the midway point. What did they do? They marched from a sub-500 team to the playoffs. What have they done this year? Haven't missed a beat. Six and two, just beat New England. The guy's just a winner. And I, I think sometimes that intangible goes unchecked a lot of times. He just knows how to make winning plays. And that's the thing. Like, look at Ru- a guy like Russell Wilson, who constantly makes plays out of pocket, constantly keeps plays alive. Yeah, with just doesn't run it as much as Lamar on, on run plays. But right. Just right. The, but Lamar, or Russell Wilson is that same type of guy in the fact that yes. he doesn't make a bunch of mistakes. Yes, he does all the athletic stuff and keeps plays alive and everything, but he's efficient. He makes good decisions. He's a winning football player. That's what Lamar Jackson is to me. He He's a guy that doesn't put you in bad spots, even if he's going to do it in sometimes an unorthodox way or a way that you know you might not see your traditional dropback passers do. He makes the right decision and the right play to help you win games. I would agree with that. All right, Rick, had a lot of ground cover there. Appreciate it as always. Thanks for listening. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Popery Edition. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. As always, it's presented by Joseph Chevrolet.